Hello, I'm Mark Sweeney. On this episode of I'm the Gun, I wanted to introduce a new feature that I'm calling ITG's ABCs. ABC stands for Anthology and Backup Comic Stories. In this feature, I'll be spotlighting all those eight-page gems either tucked away in the back of titles like Unknown Soldier, or in this episode's case, Weird Western Tales, or those stories that made up anthology titles like World's Finest Comics or Adventure Comics. Focus will be on DC publications, as that is where my heart lies. And uh, as with most features on this show, I'll be placing a special emphasis on uncollected work. But uh, don't be shocked if something from an independent publisher pops up now and again, or if uh, one of these stories turns up in some trade. I certainly reserve the right to talk about whatever I'd like. It's it's my show. I wanted to start this feature as a way to open up the number of stories and the kinds of characters. uh, Characters that I haven't been able to speak about too much to this point. Instead of starting a new feature every time I wanted to talk about something like I did with Ms. Tree Theater, which, by the way, there's a dusty old file folder on my desktop labeled Plans, in which I have notes like Another Ms. Tree Theater, and Spin Reboot Review out into its own show, and Gotta Get Around to All-Star Squadcast. Uh, these things may or may not happen, but I would like them to. Anyway, as much as I like talking about Shanna the She-Devil and Legion of Superheroes, there are other characters that I've been meaning to feature on the podcast, and instead of starting all kinds of new sub-shows, I think uh, ABCs will be a good catch-all for the Wonder Woman stories I wanted to talk about, and that Batgirl-Supergirl team-up. Of course, more Doctor 13 stories, uh, things that haven't yet found a home on the show. There are so many great eight-page stories. I think it's really an art to be appreciated, to be able to tell a story well in such a limited space. So many great short stories are done by so many great comics bros, some of the best ever. And I want to be able to showcase some of them here. And all kinds of short tales may eventually find their way into ITG's ABCs. So just keep in mind for this feature the catchphrase, when nine pages is just too much story. And I just mentioned Shanna the She-Devil. I'll let you know that I came very close to changing the name of this entire feed to Redheadcast. As starring in this inaugural episode of ABCs, I'll be covering the first two, and for a long, long time only, starring feature stories of DC's flame-haired western character, Cinnamon. By the way, I'm considering Joe Kubert's fire hair for a future show as well. Now, Cinnamon appeared only a handful of times in the pre-Crisis DC universe, turning up in uh, the two-chapter serial I'll be recapping here, then turned up in, of all titles, Justice League of America, where she appeared with a few other Western characters, and then popped up in the cameo appearances in the mid-'80s, where she gets credit for the trifecta, Crisis on Infinite Earths, Who's Who in the DC Universe, and History of the DC Universe. Crisis is almost certainly where I first laid eyes on the red-headed vigilante. Uh, This is the case with just about every obscure DC character. And honestly, it's her dearth of appearances that has made her such an attractive character for me to spotlight. I am a sucker for those characters that were able to hold a backup feature for a brief time, and you can't get briefer 
than two stories. Well, well, I guess you can have one story, but two <laughs> is not a lot. Characters that put in enough face time to rate a who's who entry and then pretty much fade into obscurity. Characters like, say, oh, I don't know, uh, Steve Savage the Balloon Buster? And it helps, of course, if these stories are good. Were Cinnamon's two and only eight-page stories good? Let's find out. So Cinnamon debuted in Weird Western Tales number 48, cover dated October 1978. The Cinnamon story backed up a scalp hunter adventure. Scalp hunter, the white man raised to be a Native American warrior, uh, and eventually retconned to be Steve Savage the Bloombuster's father. Uh, he'd been the lead feature in Weird Western since his debut, when the previous series star, Jonah Hex, got his own book. But the backup, this story, titled simply Cinnamon, was written by Roger McKenzie, who I wouldn't say had done a ton of work, but had done a lot. Uh, and I found out there's not much of it in my collection. The only other stuff I have written by him was a run he did in Men of War, the on the Gravedigger feature. Mackenzie's actually credited with the concept as well as the script for this first Cinnamon story. The art team here is Jack Abel and Danny Bulinati. Now, Jack Abel, I think of more as an inker, and he is an inker that uh, I can usually pick out right away. In my opinion, he inks the most distinguished star fields, you know, night skies, outer space. I could pick out a Jack Abel star field by his precisely placed little stars. It's, it's funny what can stand out to you in an artist's work. Then we have Todd Klein on letters, early Todd Klein, Jerry Serpa on colors, and editor Al Milgram rounding out the creative team. And I should note the cover by James Sherman and Dick Giordano, uh, where we get our first glimpse of Cinnamon. She only gets a, about a third of the real estate, sharing cover, of course, with Scalp Hunter. We see her in her white western outfit. Her hat on the cover is a little off-model. The uh, brim sweeps up on both sides here like a regular cowboy hat, but in the interior pages we see she wears a flat-brim hat, bolero style, very distinctive. On the cover she's tossing a sheriff's badge, large and foreshortened, on which is printed, Cinnamon adds spice to the west. So the story opens in San Francisco, Chinatown more specifically, on a summer evening in 1898. At a card table at the back of some saloon, a man calling himself Whitlow is digging himself a big hole against a fellow card player, a red-headed woman who says, You lose again. And uh, on this title page, she gets a little introductory blurb. An orphan, a gambler. A woman as hauntingly beautiful as she is deadly. Men know her only as Cinnamon. And we're told through text boxes that she's waited 10 years for this night. It's taken 10 years for Cinnamon to confront this Whitlow for some as yet unknown offense. And the text is a nice economical way to give a little bit of background in this eight-page story where space is always a concern. Roger McKenzie can tease the past these characters have while getting right into the action. Cinnamon, who's dressed in white, white jacket, the white bolero hat, signifying, 
I'm guessing that she'd be on the, the right side of the law, or at least the right side of justice. She deals the next hand and asks Whitlow if he knows a man named Samuels. The mention of this name causes Whitlow to sweat a bit as he thinks to himself that he hasn't used his given name in ten years since the bank job he and the boys pulled back in Wyoming. Whitlow plays coy when Cinnamon presses him for an answer, but she follows up, saying she has something for him. Something he left behind in Wyoming. This hits a little close to home, and Whitlow attempts to excuse himself from the game, but two Chinese men flank Whitlow and force him back into his seat. He protests, playing dumb, and again Cinnamon speaks in a veiled way, saying she likes to gamble. She says, it's safer than robbing banks. At this point, the other players at the table <laughs> excuse themselves. They must sense now something is up with these two. Cinnamon deals a hand and asks Whitlow how many cards he needs. Whitlow plays along, saying three. And Cinnamon continues that uh, Samuels had three friends once. And this cues a flashback to ten years prior. We're to assume Whitlow, or Samuels, and three fellow bandits make a getaway from the bank they've just held up. The town sheriff responds to the scene only to be gunned down by one of the robbers, right in front of a small girl who'd run out of the sheriff's office, a young red-headed girl. Now this must have been Cinnamon's flashback, not Whitlow's, as in the present. Whitlow must uh, get her attention and ask again whether Cinnamon is in or out of their poker hand. She says she's in and raises the bet by a piece of paper she tosses onto the table. She tells him, whom she's openly calling Samuels now, to read it. Which he does, but yells that whatever it was, and we don't see what it is yet, is lies, all lies. And he tosses the table aside and opens fire at Cinnamon. She kind of awkwardly dives away. Abel and Bulanati give us a, a diving posture here that seems pretty correct. Head tucked down between two outstretched arms as if Cinnamon were diving into a pool. Looks a little weird. It stands out here in a, at, a, at a gunfight. To counter, Cinnamon pulls off a sheriff's star pinned to her jacket and hurls it at Samuels, hitting him right in the chest. And it's a fatal blow. As he dies, recognition sets in. He remembers the red-headed girl at the site of the bank robbery, at the site of her father's murder. While Cinnamon stands over her kill, her vengeance achieved, Samuels, in a final gesture, places his hand on the document Cinnamon bet his life on. It's a wanted poster with Samuels' face. So this is a nice, tightly plotted little story of revenge and justice, perfect for the Western setting. And the Abel and Bulanati art, not spectacular, but it's very, very good. Their western clothing looks great, and uh, their facial features, especially those on the characters around the poker table, express the high tension of the story. And overall, I think it's a, it's a nice introduction to the character. So before I move on to the next eight-pager in this double-shot episode, I want to point out a text page on the, on the page facing the last of the story. It's, it's an Answer Man. The Answer Man feature ran in the Daily Planet page that 
was in the back of DC Comics back then. It mostly, Daily Planet mostly just advertised comics that came out that week, but it was usually accompanied by a Fred Hembeck humor strip and a few questions answered by the answer man. A lot of these were things like, you know, what's the secret identity of the Golden Age Adam? When did crypto first appear? And a few too many of uh, how much is my Freedom Fighters number one worth? Uh, but this issue, there's a full page, The Answer Man's Guide to the DC Explosion. And I don't recall seeing this before. It's, a, it's an alphabetical listing of various characters and where they could then be found. It's kind of a fascinating read because a lot of these characters were then appearing in just the kind of eight-page backup features that I'd like to cover on this show. Now, some of these things actually happened. Most of them actually happened, but a few... Never saw the light of day, thanks to the DC implosion, which came hot on the heels of the explosion. A few examples, Black Hawk, the answer man says, would appear in upcoming issues of Men of War. But uh, that never happened. I'm not sure if that features what eventually became the Evanier Spiegel run of Black Hawk, uh, but uh, it never, never showed up in Men of War. Cinnamon is next on the list, and we see that she did appear, though the Answer Man calls her a new weird western feature, which to me implies uh, something more than two stories. She was obviously a victim of the, of the implosion. Enemy Ace was to appear in Men of War, and that was true. Uh, there were a few cool Ace stories in that title. The human target would be In the Bullseye in Brave and Bold. Uh, but I think he lasted about as long as Cinnamon. <laughs> the Huntress, we're told, would be leaving Batman Family for a tryout in Showcase numbers 107 through 109. Uh, this never happened. Showcase was about to get axed, but the Huntress would turn up in a long run of backups in Wonder Woman in a couple of years. Huntress is definitely shortlisted for this show. Uh, Mr. and Mrs. Superman in Superman, but I think that got moved to Superman Family. A man called Neverwhere was just that. He never showed up. The Odd Man, that's a Ditko thing. I'm not sure if that ever turned up. The Ray, that one was interesting. I, I looked. I had to look that one up. He was supposed to be the backup in Black Lightning, and I think only one story uh, was produced, and it was written by Roger McKenzie. And uh, Wonder Woman, she was appearing in Adventure Comics Anthology at the time, in addition to her own book, so... Interesting time capsule for an interesting time in DC history. All right, up next, Cinnamon's second adventure in Weird Western Tales, number 49. He was a hero to some, a villain to others. And wherever he rode, people spoke his name in whispers. He had no friends, this Jonah Hex, but he did have two companions. One was death itself, the other, the acrid smell of gun smoke.
death and the acrid smell of gun smoke. The Jonah Hex Podcast. Available Thursdays at two true freaks. All right, so the story in the back of Weird Western Tales number 49, cover dated November 1978, called once again just Cinnamon, uh, which by the way is lettered in the same distinctive type as in the last story. It's printed along a flowing bass line and the I is dotted with a little star. I, uh, I think what we have here is a logo. Now obviously it didn't get too much use, uh, but I double checked Cinnamon's Who's Who entry. And uh, there was that logo, so to some small degree, there was an attempt at branding the character. Uh, This story is written by Roger McKenzie. Art chores this time out are credited to Howie Chaikin and uh, Danny Bulanati. Chaikin must have been fresh off Star Wars for for Marvel. Stories lettered by Carisha, colored once again by Jerry Serpa, and edited by Al Milgram. The cover of this issue is by Luis Dominguez, and it's well done. It's got a nice scalp hunter drawing, uh, but Cinnamon gets much less real estate. Just a little corner headshot in a star. The theme of the throwing star slash sheriff's badge is continued. Uh, Her hat is a little more on model than on the last cover, but her eyes are miscolored, or I should say one of her irises is uncolored. And she uh, looks a little scary, honestly. So the story opens up with Cinnamon waking from a dream. A nightmare, really. She's just relived witnessing her father's murder at the hands of uh, that group of bank robbers. With no chance of her getting back to sleep, she dons her distinctive business suit. White jacket, pants, bolero hat and uh, picks up her preferred weapon, the Sheriff Star, presumably her father's, and with the curse, damn them all, hurls it at an open newspaper in her room. The star strikes right in the forehead of a picture of a creepily grinning man called Chester Jackson, whom the paper reports is cited for orphanage fraud. Cinnamon heads out into the autumn evening, and here Roger McKenzie shows the passage of at least some time. As it was noted, her last adventure took place on a summer night. She finds herself at the iron-fenced home of Chester Jackson. And Jackson, we see, inside is packing a suitcase full of cash. Apparently in haste, and he's a little jumpy. A noise outside brings him to the window. He thinks, he hopes, it's just the wind. But out on the balcony is Cinnamon, and she's got another wanted poster. She calls Jackson Williams and leaps across his desk and shoves a gun in his face. She berates him for, first, for stealing from children and the orphanage fraud he's been accused of, and the spoils of which Williams is currently trying to stuff into a suitcase and then smacks him across the face with a rolled-up poster like a naughty dog. Ouch. Then goes on to tell him that uh, this wasn't the first time he's stolen from children, and reminds him of the time he and some friends had stolen her father from her a decade back in Wyoming. She demands to know the location of the remaining two bandits. Williams panics and says uh, he has some information for her in that safe over there, and uses the distraction to smack cinnamon with a suitcase full of cash. 
Williams gathers up the rest of his belongings and thinks to himself that he's got to get to the ship by the time that Hellcat wakes up. Williams has plans to escape the law in Europe. So he makes his way to where his getaway ship is docked, uh, but at the top of the gangway, he is unable to find his ticket. Someone there interrupts his search, and William is shocked to find that Cinnamon has beaten him there. In his haste to leave, Williams had left his ticket behind, which clued Cinnamon in on where she'd find her prey. Williams panics and runs away, but for some foolish reason runs to the end of a dock, completely trapping himself with nowhere left to run. Cinnamon tracks him down and tells him as much. Williams whips out a pistol, but Cinnamon shoots it out of his hand, saying there's nothing else he can steal from her, not even revenge. And because she's a total badass, Cinnamon tosses away her gun, saying now it's just she and he. Williams calls her a fool and produces a knife, but before he gets a chance to use it, schwack! Cinnamon, of course, brought a throwing star to this knife fight, and Williams gets that star right in the chest. He's sent toppling from the dock into the ocean, and another of Cinnamon's father's murderers has met his end. And so that's the end of Cinnamon's second adventure, and with two more bandits to hunt down, it's implied that there were more to come, but that would be it, thanks to the DC implosion. This was a good complimentary adventure, I think, to the first one. I, I can imagine this kill was even more personal for Cinnamon, as Williams was not only one of her father's killers, but he stole from orphans as well, one of which Cinnamon was, thanks to Williams and his friends. And the artwork, even though done by another penciler, and Chaikin is one with a typically very distinctive style. This story's look is very consistent with the Jack Abel illustrated one. I assume the inking of Danny Bulinati has a lot to do with that. And the look of the story is, is very good. Not flashy, uh, but more, much more incompetent. I wonder if uh, I wonder if any more story pages were produced like there were for other implosion casualties. I've never seen any referenced, uh, but I wouldn't be surprised if some more cinnamon pages were out there somewhere. And I wonder about whether Chaikin was to continue as penciler, or if another artist was to take over in a third and presumably fourth chapter in the serial. I guess I would be concerned a little bit about the shelf life for this heroine, had she been allowed to continue. You know, once she did have her justice uh, on all four members of the gang, kind of wonder what would be next for her. You know, a female lead Western character, very unusual back then and now. Uh, I think Cinnamon had a lot of potential. Maybe not the most groundbreaking origin. Of course, we've seen the violent death of a parent drive a child to vengeance before. Uh, but again, this vigilante is a very rare female Western character with a really cool weapon gimmick. I, uh, I would have liked to have seen more. It's a, it's a bit of a shame we weren't able to see the, that potential developed especially considering uh, the strength of these first two stories. So, as I said, Cinnamon would only show up a couple more times in the in the near future, in Justice League, in Crisis, and uh, that would be it until James Robinson, who has a reputation for rescuing underused and obscure characters, 
about 15, 20 years later, made Cinnamon a previous incarnation of Hawk Girl. That was in the Hawkman series he was writing. I think Nighthawk, the Western character Nighthawk, was a, was an incarnation of Hawkman. There was a Cinnamon miniseries in the mid-2000s, too, but I don't think that that was the same character. Um, so, But this Cinnamon, a very small legacy for a very cool character, just the kind of thing I'm attracted to, and uh, I thought a good choice to kick off my look at anthology and backup comic stories. I will be putting up some images from these two stories on my blog, imthegun.blogspot.com, so please check out some of the Jack Abel, Howie Chaikin, and Danny Bulinati art there. I'll have some contact info there as well if you're interested in getting in touch with me. And on that note, I want to thank some folks for helping me promote my Dr. 13 Halloween episode on Twitter. I got likes and retweets from Omactivate, Coffee and Comics blog, Norman Peeler, Mark Danvers, Carl Disley, That Weiss Guy, Gregor Rougeau, and Darren and Ruth Sutherland, hosts of Tracker Talk, Warlord Worlds, and Xenozoic Xenophiles. Got a nice email from them as well. Uh, they wrote, really enjoyed your latest annual episode dedicated to Dr. 13. I wasn't familiar with the character in the past, but remember enjoying your episode last year, and I really enjoyed this year's episode as well. It was also a coincidence that Professor Allen covered Dr. 13 on a recent episode of the Quarterbin podcast. Really fun. Yeah, that was uh, quite an eerie coincidence, and uh, just goes to show that great minds plan Halloween podcast episodes alike. Thank you, Darren and Ruth, for writing in. Uh, that episode also enjoyed some Twitter promotion from very good friend of the show, Joseph Crawford, who I've had a great time tweeting with recently about any number of comics topics. Uh, I want to send a special thank you, Joseph's Way, for submitting the first iTunes review that this show has ever had. I honestly didn't expect any iTunes reviews. It really just didn't even enter my mind. Uh, I realize what a difficult show this must be to review. It's a, it's a bit all over the place. I uh, know I couldn't write a review for it, so I really appreciate Joseph's input. It's more than I could have hoped for, and I hope he doesn't mind me reading it, because uh, he describes kind of what I want for the show better than I better than I can myself. Joseph wrote, Mark knows his comics. I love how this show covers heroes and series both known and forgotten. Shanna and Balloon Buster live side by side with Superboy and the Legion. Always excited when a new show comes out. Recommended. Thank you, Joseph. That, uh, that means a lot to me. And thank you all for listening to this episode. All right, I think I'll exit on this high note. So until the next time, nine pages is just too much story. Take care. Thank you.